All right, well, good morning, guys. It's great, a chance, great to get a chance to come up here and share with you guys again in our series this year at Christmas time. If you haven't been here, we're calling it Christmas present, right? Not in the sense that you get to unwrap a present here in a couple of weeks, but that literally you see Christmas and all that comes with it as very present reality here and now. Uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, Jared kicked us off a couple of weeks ago talking about just this idea, you just do this insanity. Has it started for you yet? Right? This is Christmas stuff. It gets nuts. It gets crazy. He's like, don't, don't miss Jesus in this, right? And then and, and last week, Christian Burkhart came up and it was just like, just, it's, Christmas was meant to, to defeat sin and death. And I love how we talked about Adam, and, and Adam rebelled and reaching for that fruit. I want to be in charge of me, right? And that incredible rebellion is still going on throughout the world. But then Jesus came, and if you let him, he just fixes everything. And it's just, if you haven't been here, I really would encourage you to get the podcast, or you can go to cornerstonesemi.com, and you can download the messages uh, and get caught up with us. Today we're actually talking about God's love. Uh, our sermon series title today is that Christmas was meant for you to know God's love. And, and why are we talking about God's love at Christmas time? Because above all else, we need to understand that our Savior, Emmanuel, the God-man, was conceived. Right? He went into, into this, this young Jewish girl. He was conceived with the purpose of dying. He was born to die. He lived to die. Everything about him was this journey to the cross where we see this ultimate culmination, this apex of God's love. And, we, he was, and so the journey to the cross, a major, major transition point at Christmas time in the manger. And, and so just, man, we just don't want to miss that at Christmas time. I tell you, speaking on God's love, though, it, it's not easy. I don't know how I got this sign this one. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, but it's not easy. Uh, understanding it. Is not easy. You're not going to leave here today and go, okay, check that box. I got it. No, it doesn't. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. It's unfathomable. It's like honestly trying to understand outer space. Right? And you listen to these guys who explain this. Stuff. You know, you could take 960,000 planet Earths, 960,000 planet Earths, and they would fit inside the sun. How many jelly beans in that jar, right? Did you do that thing? Right? And you're going, this is, no, 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 it gets worse. It's get, you could, there's planets, stars, whatever they're called, things out there so big you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside of them. <laughs> right? And God's love, His mercy, His grace. I like it over here so much better because I'm not getting blinded by the light. Right? His mercy and His grace and all that we have, right? It's just as unfathomable as outer space. And so my goal here today isn't that you go, you know what, I got it, okay, yeah. You know, dude was up there and he said it and I get it and love. And so and now I'm just going to go and I'm going to like, I don't do it so good, but I will. So I'll pull up my bootstraps and I'll try harder to love. Do it. No, that, that's not my goal here today because you'll probably end up being poopy and religious if you do that. Right, my goal here today is nothing short of you just sing a little louder in your life for him. That you would appreciate him a little bit more, that you would worship him a little bit better, that you would just go, wow. See, Jesus likened believing in him to drinking water with this gal one day, John 4, 14. He said, he who drinks this water out of him will flow streams. It'd be my goal today that Jesus Christ would explode into your heart a little bit, and then it would begin to flow out of you. I could talk about it all day, but you know what God says? I says, just tell, I demonstrated it. 
Right? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe, maybe your translation says he showed it, he demonstrated, he put it on display. He put his son on the cross because of his love for us. And the second part of the verse actually speaks to his love just as strong while we were yet sinners. Right? And if you're a student of the scriptures, you understand this rebellion, this thing Adam did where he's like, yeah, yeah, you're in charge, you're a creator, I'm created, but I want to do it my way. Right, And Adam reached and he ate and all of us followed suit. And there's this incredible rebellion. And if you understand, it's, it hasn't changed. It hasn't stopped. There was never a time where mankind just turned and went, okay, creator created, we get it. We're sorry. It never happened while we were yet sinners. So, so God actually sends his son into the rebellion. The rebellion didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, the rebellion hated him. The rebellion took him to, but he comes into the rebellion as a light in darkness and calls men to the light while we were yet still sinners. This is what our God did. This is what Christmas is all about, right? And then on a personal level, you, you hear a Christian testimony, say, oh yeah, I gave my life to the Lord, or I came to know Jesus, and you did, and that's great, and I hope you have one of those. But understand that you're able to give that testimony because while you were yet still in your sin, he pursued you. Right? You think it's something you didn't know. You, maybe it was your parents when you were five. For me, it was somebody here at Cornerstone when I was 27 years old. And the Spirit of God sets His sights on you and pursues you and draws you and pulls you. And it's all apart from you. While you were yet still in your sin, you didn't clean up. You didn't come to Him and go, okay, quick pro quo, you died, I'll fix myself. You couldn't have. You were dead. When we think of... of God's love for us, right? How do we not go to John 3.16? But I feel like sometimes, you know what, if we're going to go to John 3.16, we have to borrow it from Sunday school room. Because it kind of got relegated over there, right? You know that verse. You got that one down, Pat. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. I love that verse, but it's not a kid's verse. It's a world verse. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the context. He wasn't screened from a mountainside. No religious dude came to talk to Jesus, probably had a robe, a goofy hat, and he wanted to talk religion with Jesus one night. Couldn't do it during the day, had to come at night. Hey, Jesus, I know you got this religion. No, no, talk to the hand, buddy. You must be born again. Huh? Tells a religious dude, and he wore the robe and the hat, and he probably would have separated himself from people like you and me, and wore the robe and the hat, and he was something different from us. And Jesus said, I don't want to talk about your religion. You have to be born again. That is the context of John 3.16. And, and, and maybe, if you knew a religious dude in a robe and a hat, he, he could use the same course correction that this gentleman had. But for him that night, it was radical, radical course correction. But we're not talking about that today, sorry. But I love in the passage, right? The passage shows a fervency. God so loved, and it's demonstrative, and it's strong, and it blows your mind. You go, wait a minute. See, I, I had an opportunity to go to Bible school. Right? And then I got done with the mission field, and I came back, and I had a chance to, to get at least partway through seminary. Right? And I love the lectures. These guys, they, they have all these letters after their names, and, so, and they stand, and they just explain everything. And then I love them, and they're like, wow, no way. Right? They come up, this is one God, and he existed in three persons from all eternity. There was never a time when he wasn't there. And you're like, eh, I know, but it's just what it says, right? He was perfectly content. He was self-glorifying. He was perfectly fine being about himself. I mean, if you're God and you're perfect, how could you be about anything else but yourself, right? I mean, it's just incredible, right? Self-glorifying, self-content, self-satisfying, didn't need you, didn't need me. He was 
Happy, 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 right? Absolutely. But then I come to John 3.16 and I go, well, can I get it? I just would rather hear a soccer mom read it then. A Sunday school teacher, someone who would just explain and have the fervency know he so loved the world, right? That he sent his son on this incredible missions trip. He so loved. And what happened between this God who was in glory and in heaven and, and, and the so love? And you just process that. I'll tell you what happened. Adam reached. Adam said no. And then you followed him. Our rebellion happened. And he went into missions mode. Because he so loved that he wanted us back. We were murdered. And he pursued, and he pursued at the highest possible price you could imagine. You feel the affection for your kids? Do you realize that comes from him? Do you realize that comes because you are made in his image? So love your kids. He so loved his son. And you try and fathom this stuff. And you're like, we're in our community group. Guys, I tell you, if you haven't done this community group, I really, really encourage you to get involved in one. But we've been studying through uh, in Ephesians, right? Looking at all the spiritual blessings, everything we have in Christ. And I was going through it, and one of them just stuck out to me, and it just sticks. And it's Ephesians 1.18, and it actually says that, that we're his inheritance, right? And as a Christian, I knew that, that as a co-heir with Christ, like I have an inheritance coming. When he returns, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm excited about And this one says, no, this is different, that you're actually his inheritance right? You are claimed by God as his portion. You, yes, you, all of you, if you have a believer in Jesus Christ here today, are his reward and prize for the mission of John 3, 16 accomplished. And I'm like, what, but how would he want little old me? I mean, I'm his portion. I'm his prize. Man, you just get absolutely blown away. And then you get blown away by that. And then you have to come to terms with the cross, right? Because what kind of love does a father have to have to send his son to the cross? And then while on the cross, pour out his wrath upon him. The wrath that was due us. He, he put that on his son. Why? Because he so loved us. And, and then you try and study it out. Now, I was reading Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 14. It says that just as there was many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured. It's actually a prophetic utterance towards what, what Jesus Christ went through, right? You understand that he was beaten, he was spit upon, he was stripped naked, all these things that he went through. He was whipped with his whip, it had multiple ends on it, it had like a grappling hook effect, where it would dig into his flesh and rip. Oh, that's the wrath of God. No. I don't think it is. I remember I lived in the jungle, right? We were missionaries over there. We had to build our house on stilts, and the house was going to be heavy. No cement there. We had to dig this incredible hole, and we used these incredible beams, and we put the house on stilts, and we had like six guys lifting this beam, and another guy over there, like a pulley system, with a, with, and we pull, and we got to a point then when gravity took over, and it was like, look out, because this thing's now sliding down, and just picture Jesus on the cross. They laid him flat, nail here, nail there, nail through the feet, and they lift the cross, and of course, they're Romans, right? So they want to show the world what happens when you cross Rome, and so the thing goes up, it's tall, and it comes slamming down. You can study Roman crucifixion, and imagine the impact when it hit the bottom of the hole, dislocating his shoulders, his elbows, jarring perhaps even his very rib cage loose. And you go, that's the wrath of God? No, I don't think so. I'm not an expert. I honestly don't think so. That's the wrath of man. That's what man does when you tell him his self-righteousness is no good. It's the wrath of politicians trying to please the people. 
No, see, when I read the accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when it goes dark, when he cries out, Eloi, God, Eloi, Eloi, why have you forsaken me? And we have a tendency, right? You know, that's a, a prophetic fulfillment of a psalm. And we go, well, he was checking a box. No, he wasn't. He had no point of reference. He knew what was coming, but he couldn't fully have understood perhaps the gravity of this. That's when he felt the wrath for the sins of the world. And, and just as you begin to wrap your head around that, and I hope that wins you over, right? You go, no way. That's how much he loved us. Listen to this a couple pages over from Isaiah 52 is Isaiah 53. And it says in Isaiah 53.10, But the Lord Yahweh was pleased to crush him. And him and Iowa is the servant. Him and Isaiah is the Messiah, right? And this is another prophetic thing. And it says, wait a minute, Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Wait a minute, you were pleased to do this? And you could kind of get your mind around it that it happened, right? But he was pleased to do it. And you go, how in the world? There's only one possible answer that I could come up with, right? Because if it meant you'd come back, if it meant you leave the rebellion and come to him, if it meant getting your reconciliation back to him, if it meant your affection, if it meant your worship, if it meant you'd call him dad, then he was pleased to do it. That's the only possible answer I could come up with. And you go, well, Jesus just, Man, he got kind of a raw deal, right? He was just dragged off. This is the thing. Jesus wasn't an unwilling victim in anything. Because the other half of Isaiah 53.10 says, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Right? And you get this image that the Father would do it and he was pleased to do it if the Son would do it. They were in this together. Jesus Christ was not an unwilling victim. In fact, when you read about his crucifixion, it's so powerful, right? Because he is in absolute sovereign control the whole time. He had said earlier, no one's taken my life from me. I lay it down on the altar of my dad for you. And when he had satisfied his God, he did just that. He laid down his life when he was ready. He didn't go kicking and screaming to the cross. He went happily because it meant bringing you back. And you're just supposed to be blown. Isn't this humbling? Everything that he did for us. Why did Jesus do it? Because the love that Jesus Christ has for you is as strong as the love his Father has for you. Can we read Galatians 2.20? Can we put this up on the screen, please? I love this passage. It's kind of the end of the 2.20, actually. It says, I live by faith. This is Paul, and he's kind of contrasting to the religious <clears throat> thought of the day, the whole law. Thing. Says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Right? And gave himself for me. And a lot of times me is kind of a bad thing around here, right? Because we want to be about him. And so many times we have believers and they come in, and the end result, you know what the problem really is? Is they're just me. I want me. What about me? Right? Maybe you kind of heard Todd explain that's a problem. I got permission. For today, we're fine being about me. Okay? In fact, this is, this is going to be the most liturgical thing probably I ever do. Can I get the verse back up there? Would you read this with me? Can we read this together? I'll start the pace. And when you get where I'm going, just jump in with me, right? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for And he's forgiven you if you've let him. Ah, oh, it's so 
powerful. And, and the reason I like it is because a lot of times, right, and, and there are people out here, I, I understand that you've been abused, badly be abused, you've been neglected, or maybe just mistreated by a jerk, and you stand in your own kind of messy world, right? And I get that, and I want to be sympathetic to that. And, and then you look out at the world, and you go, well, that's great. God loves the world, but there's no way that I'm part of that. You don't know what I live in. You don't know what I've gone through, and you're right. I don't. Okay, so John 3.16 says the world, but make no doubt about it. You are part of that world, and you are part of that me. Cannot, cannot miss that. All of it driven by his love, and it gets better. It gets better. Have you ever received like a, a blessing or, or a gift or, or something that happened that just absolutely and completely blows you away? Sorry. Um, one night I was doing I was doing some work for a guy, and I'm kind of wrapping up. And the guy pulls up and he just says, "Yeah, can you come do this? You know, fix my screen door, right? Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, send me a bill." And he goes, "Actually, why don't you why don't you take your wife, and and here's my card. Go and you go to my restaurant, and we'll trade." And and he says, "It's called Bochaccio's. You ever been there?" And I said, "No, I've never been to Bochaccio's." And apparently, it's on the lake. And what well, it is, I know, it's on the lake. And I'm like, "Dude, it's going to cost me 15 bucks to fix." He said, "Don't worry about it." I'm going to hook you in your This wasn't a missionary thing. We were leaving for the mission field like in three. No, no. He said, just, just. So we go in there, right? Totally hooked up, blown away. Dude brings calamari, steak and lobster. I'm peeking at the menu going, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and the dessert. And, and we're just overlooking. It was at Christmas time. The lake. Is, and we get done. We think we're leaving. He goes, no, no. No, here's the key to the electric boat outside. And it didn't make one bit of noise. And we just cruised the lake and the, the million dollar homes, right? And it was just beautiful. We were just blown away by that. And then in 08, we came home from the mission field, wife sick, kids sick, you know, time to kind of regroup, regather. And uh, just spending some time with a friend. He goes, you know, I got a friend of a friend of Joe Torrey, right? Manager of the Dodgers. Let me, let me make a phone call, right? We end up at Dodger Stadium as the personal guest of Joe Torrey, right? He tell us, take the elevator, go up. There's this incredible office up there. And we stand there and Ned Coletti comes out. Like, dude, you gotta quit signing former Giants. I know you, but, but, no, okay, whatever. But, and then they take us down, right? They escort us down onto the field. Joe comes over, brings a case of autographed baseballs, killer seats right there. Manny would just go, like, Manny, come here. He wouldn't come. But it was just this, we're so blessed. Couldn't believe it. What an incredible blessing we had to just be so blown away. Now, <clears throat> the blessings we have in Christ, they might not get you a steak dinner and, and, and hang out with Joe Torrey. But let me tell you something. As a child of God, you are absolutely, positively blessed beyond measure. Completely blown away. Let me tell you something. Have you gotten saved? You're saved, right? I know you say You can say, yeah, okay, we're, I'm saved. I say, we, we use that terminology. When did you get saved? Oh, I got saved in 84. Okay. It, that's good. I hope you're saved. If you're not saved today, you can get saved. We can do that today. But it's terminology we use in Christianity, right? But actually, did you get eternal life? You understand this, the moment you came to Jesus Christ, you got saved, you were given the gift of eternal life. One of my neatest things to do as I pursue ministry is to do the funeral of a believer. Because everyone's crying and upset, and I know, and I get that, I don't mean to be insensitive to that, but there's this idea where you go, well, wait a minute, no, I know they're in the box, or you cooked them and they're in the vase, whatever they can, no, that's their carcass. They're not there, they're immortal. No, I'm serious, Your eternal life is the same thing as immortality, you have immortality, right? You could go jump on a grenade for Jesus, and all it means is you step out of this carcass into paradise forever. Oh, the gift of eternal life. I will. 
You see, you want to be careful, though, because some religious dudes will actually tell you, eh, it's not really eternal, it can be temporal. No. No, eternal means eternal. I love the Greek word, right? I don't know Greek. I learned it kind of as I study, but the Greek word for eternal is ionion, right? It's where we get the English word for eon. And eon is an immeasurable distance of time. It's immeasurable because it has no end, right? Immortal eon forever. Your life will last forever with heaven, in heaven, with you, right? And then the word for life is Zoe. I named my dog Zoe. I totally didn't know. I have like eternal Zoe. I'm like, you don't want this dog forever, let me tell you. <laughs> but listen, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying. <clears throat> on, a seri- no, on a serious note, listen, these are, the words, these are the words of Jesus Christ to you regarding your eternal life, regarding what happened in Adam when you, when you pursued rebellion. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, and if you understand, when we close a prayer, we close it, amen. It's true, this is right. Okay, the Greek word here for truly, truly is amen, amen, right? And what Jesus is saying, he says it twice for, for just that oomph, the double punch, absolutely true. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That is a promise from Jesus Christ, absolutely, positively, he who hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life. Listen, it gets better. And does not come into judgment. Do you, I didn't come to know Jesus until I was 27, and it wasn't pretty. You, you think of all the things I've done before, even the things I've done since I've known him, right? I didn't fix up overnight. I'm still not fixed up. And everything I do, the evil that still comes out, all this stuff, I'm not going to stand before him one day and worry about him throwing me into hell. I have eternal life. I will not come. You will not come, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, into a judgment where you this conviction of your sin, and then you're cast away. It's not going to happen. And he finishes the verse and says, but you've passed out of the death. That's the death of Adam we're talking about. And into life. That's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. That's the words of Jesus Christ. Does that humble you? All of this he did to us. Absolutely unbelievable. And it gets better. So you get eternal life and you come to Jesus and you go, "Eh, but you know what? I'm still poopy. I'm a jerk. Or sometimes I'm still flat out evil. Right? And what you want to do is you kind of go, I'm going to set out and I'm going to fix this. No, you don't have to. This is where it really gets good. Romans 3.21 says you actually are given the gift of righteousness. Right? Listen, Romans 3.21, he says, but now a righteousness from God, don't miss that part, apart from law, religious duty, a righteousness from God, apart from the religious duty, has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you came to believe, not only were you given the gift of eternal life, you were given the gift of righteousness. Huh. Find your significance in that. Over in Romans 5.17, he's talking about this thing that Christian broke out for us last week. Like death reigned through Adam. You understand the, the disaster. The, turn on the news. It's still going on, right? This whole thing, it all started in man's rebellion. Get the picture, right? It says death reigned through Adam. How much more will those who received God's abundant grace? You understand God's abundant grace? It is deep. I, I just can't even go there because I can't stop. I don't to do with that. Who received God's abundant grace and the gift of righteousness. 
How much more will they reign in life out of the death that they were in through Jesus Christ? But don't miss the gift of righteousness. But you go back one, one chapter in Romans and it's describing Abraham's faith. And then it says he believed in God, of course. And he says the God who gives life to the dead. That's us. And calls into being that which does not exist. What is that? That's the righteousness. It wasn't there before. It didn't exist. Your neighbors might not think it's true. Your boss might not think it's true. Your coworkers might not think it's true. God says you are righteous. It didn't exist. He says it does. That's it. That's all. That's all that matters, right? So last year at the end of the school year, I get a call. I get a call. My, my son Matthew got in a fight at school. Oh, no way. I mean, here I am trying to become a pastor. Trying, You know, it just, part of me is like, it's okay. You know, he's a little hot-tempered. It's junior high, right? They learn to kiss, cuss, and fight. There's no way around that. I, I, I just, that's not true. No. And they're like, no, that's the Adam part. You don't want to do it. No. I was kind of bummed. But I had told my boys, you know what? If you see somebody getting beat up, if you see somebody being bullied, stop it. If you can. I mean, I... And of course, the, the story came to me through teenagers. So he beat up two kids. The third one, like, tapped out. I'm going, oh, no, he's getting suspended. He gets home, and his phone's going nuts. Principal's looking for him. Phone calls to dad. I'm like, oh, man. But in the back of my mind, you know, I just, I don't know. So my wife called me. I said, babe, what happened? Well, there's this, you know, kid that a lot of kids would say is awkward. And everyone's gathered around this kid just beating on him. So Matthew's like, spun him around, put him in a headlock, plopped him down. And walked away. I said, I said to him, "You guys stop!" I said, to, "I said, I said to my wife on the phone, you tell him, Dad says he's good. You tell him that. If they suspend him, we're totally going to Disneyland. There's nothing. I don't care what the teacher. I don't. I don't care what the teacher says. I don't care what anybody says. Now listen, guys. Dad says he's good. Your dad. Are you are you believe followers, Dad." says you're good. And so I say, you know what? Stop trying to acquire what he says you already have. You see a racer getting into the blocks and he's going to run this race and, and we get in there and we're just all pumped up and Jesus is at the other end going, say, hello, I already won that race, dude. His victory is ours. It's better. See, the New Testament speaks at length about the believer in Jesus Christ being in an absolute perfect union with him, right? We, 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 God's economy, he took us out of the rebellion in Adam and placed us in Christ, in his son, right? It's the whole book of Ephesians, really. At least the first three chapters is all about. We are in Christ, in this perfect union with him, okay? His merits are yours. <laughs> his merits. His standing before God. And somehow, although he's, he's the God of the universe, he's the Yahweh incarnate, but it, it somehow, after the cross, the Father extols even more glory, more honor, more on his Son. The standing is way beyond anything you possibly imagine. His standing before God is your standing before God. You just want to sit quiet and be humble before him. Everything that we have, absolutely mind-boggling. Ephesians, and you know, I get the struggles because I have them too. I, please, I didn't get to come up here today because I got it all figured out. If anything, like show them Mike, it'll motivate them, <laughs> right? I, this, I, no, no, I'm not fixed up. 
We struggle with these things, right? And we say, there's no way that applies to me. I'm not righteous. I know I'm not because I look into my heart and I know it's a, listen, listen, this. don't miss this. Before you were ever born, before you ever rebelled, before you ever sinned, he chose that you would stand before him. Ephesians 1, 4, right? He chose that we would be holy and blameless in Christ in this union. You hadn't done anything good or it didn't matter. He chose that you would stand there perfect before him in his son. Don't ever think of yourself outside of Christ. Like you have some standing, like because you came to Jesus, you got no, no, never, never, ever look at yourself separate from this union with Jesus Christ. And this is where it gets really crazy because Ephesians 2 6 goes on to say, and he seated us, he raised his son, and he seated us in his son in the heavenly places. And that's done. And and it was a group of guys here, we kind of hashed through sermons, right? And I was reading to them, like, oh, that's past tense. And they said, no, actually, it's not past tense. Because if it's past tense, then I would say it's done, right? And some guy would come along and say, it can be undone. He's the same guy that might come along and say, eternal can be temporal if you blow it enough. And he won't tell you about the righteousness of God given to you. He'll tell you to get your own righteousness. And if you don't earn your own righteousness, then it's not eternal, it's temporal, right? You it's not just done past tense in the Greek. It's the eridus tense, which means it's completed, it's completely completed. You're done, signed, sealed, delivered, seated in the heavenly places, and it absolutely, positively cannot be undone. I get the reality is that, you know what? That doesn't pay your mortgage, does it? I, I, I want to be sympathetic. I get that. I understand that. Problems are still real. Whatever you're struggling with, Know that you do so from his trophy case. Whatever it is. And understand God's in the business of flipping. Right? You've seen the show Flip the House? He's in the business of flipping. He gets you and he begins to flip. And for some it's this area. Some it's that area. Reality is all of us get flipped. We get a new heart. We get this changed thing about us, right? And, and things begin to flow out of us that are different. And, and sometimes I know it, Bible promises don't cure cancer, right? They don't feed. It, it's, just, it's tough. I get it. But know this, whatever you're struggling from, he's painting an incredible portrait, an incredible portrait. And he paints it while you're seated in the heavenlies and he's flipping your life. And for a lot of us, you're not going to know what that portrait looks like until you die. And then one day when it's all over, when it's all redeemed, when it's all done, when this thing with Adam and the cross and the return of Jesus is nothing more than a parenthesis in time. And we move to the forward and he'll show you then the portrait he was painting. You read the verse, nothing can separate us from the love of God. How much more does God do for us now that we're his? He molds us, he flips us, he transforms us us and all of this was done to you and for you completely apart from you and you go, well what do you do with it you find your significance in it find your standing in it find your humility but you know what the scriptures say the love of christ as you appreciate him your understanding of him right your theology so to speak should absolutely drive your worship it should drive your response Right, and in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it literally says, the love of Christ compels us. It's like the passage in John I talked about, where out of us flows, and, and the word compel, is like water going through a tube, and the tube's getting smaller, and you're getting more and more of it. And, and it, I don't know why, it just, it just got to burst forward. You just can't help it. Loving people, like just sharing the love of Jesus after he's won your heart over. That's what this is all about. What better time than at Christmas? The world is singing our songs. They're celebrating. I mean, they're twisting it, but... What an opportunity 
And please understand, all this does not create some ethic. Like you have a debt now to him. Okay, okay, I'll love. No. If that's what you feel, just keep your mouth shut out there and keep listening because you'll blow it. I'm serious. All of this is, is driven to us to make us celebrate, to make us worship the king. He absolutely wins our heart over. That's what Christmas is all about. But think about it. Let's transition a little bit to Christmas. What was it like for Jesus to leave heaven? I mean, did he have to pack, pack up that office and head out? I mean, think about everything that he had, the worship of angels. Probably the most incredible thing is this perfect union amongst himself and his father, and they're one God, but they're in three, and it's hard to explain, right? And, and all these stars that quadrillions of earths could fit in, that's all decorations in his office. Like, this is just, you get this imagery, and at one point he stood up and he said, I'm going now. And you can just imagine the angels going, oh, oh, you're going Where? Do you see that really, really poor little Jewish girl down there? That's where I'm going. And the divine took the divine and planted it inside the egg of this probably 13 or 14-year-old Jewish girl. I don't know about you, but somehow growing up, I had the imagery of like maybe he was the size of a football and boop. No, that would make her a surrogate. She was his mother. He went into the womb. He was conceived. That which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. Understand his journey to the virgin, his journey to the manger is the same missions trip as his journey to the cross. It's like throwing a rock across a pond and it skips four times. It's one motion. It's one trip. It's the heart and soul of John 3.16. I'm going now. All right, turn me to Philippians chapter 2. Or you could just listen to me. Philippians chapter 2 says... Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. At Christmas time, that's a four-letter word in English, right? He denied. <gasps> Can't deny ourselves. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, <clears throat> he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we could go on and it talks about every knee will bow and all these wonderful things, but that's the imagery you get about Jesus leaving and coming. And probably the, the greatest example I ever heard of this was a veteran missionary, but we got over to New Guinea way back in the 60s and 70s. And he talked about in this particular village in their culture, <clears throat> When a man died, they would put him on this rack, and it was a bamboo rack, and they would use the same racks to smoke fish, so you get the imagery of the, the smoke kind of comes up. And they would take his corpse, and they would lay it on this rack, and then they would, his wife had to lay underneath him as he decomposed. And I get the image of this flesh and stink and fluid falling down into these cracks. And then they hike off into these weird, like, hamlet places outside the village to do this. And this missionary knows this is happening. He's got to go, and he's got to try and pull her out of this hut. But she's in there for, for religious reasons, right? Because her animism says if she doesn't stay, the spirit world will destroy her. But the missionary knows that's a lie. He's got to go in there. He's got this penicillin trying to save her. And just, maybe, and I don't know, maybe, just maybe, we get just a little bit of glimpse of what it might have been like for the divine Emmanuel to come to us. He entered our death hut. See, in America, we don't think it's that bad, right? We think, man, maybe the next election or two, things will get better. It's America. We love it, right? 
understand this. America is a condemned concentration camp that outside of Jesus Christ, they will perish. See, the problem is, is the Philippians 2 have this attitude in yourself? The Philippians 2 attitude and the traditional American Christmas, not exactly peanut butter and chocolate, is it? Right? We tend to take our selfish tendencies and we accentuate them. We become even spend more than we should, do things we should. I, I just, we just send weird stuff all over the place, like a picture of a snow cabin helps me. I don't really understand all that. We just get, we got to be careful that we just don't get weird with things. Please, I have a Christmas tree. Going up this afternoon, got the lights, doing the, I'm not an anti-Christmas, it's okay. These things, just redeem them, grab hold of them and use them. But understand what, what the divine went through. We have a tendency just to make things weird. When my, my son was born, my, my wife, and okay, the firstborn or whatever, you, you got to do the, she's young, 20-something, and she's first-time pregnancy, right? Can you relate? <sighs> got to do the nursery. Okay, we'll do the nursery, paint it, get it ready. The theme we decided on was, was Noah's Ark. I argued for Sodom and Gomorrah, but she, no, she had her dead. She had the giraffe on the left. No, but think about it. We just wanted our son to grow up with the fear of the Lord, right? We, we didn't know better. I mean, do you have any idea how many people perished when that ark closed? Do you have any idea? They say tons, even 100,000. Some like dudes figure this stuff out, say millions. There was millions. Of, I don't know. I don't know how many people they were there. I they're perished. And if I understand the scriptures right, they are awaiting a final resurrection at which time they will finally perish. And I'm getting weird with decorations. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to point to that. <laughs> you see the point, guys? We have to lived our life with some kind of urgency. And at Christmas time, as the love begins to flow from us, can we funnel it just a little bit to where we actually share the gospel, that we actually live our lives around unbelievers with the same kind of fervency? I missed the fervency. I had a a very short career, 20-some years ago as a police officer. Didn't end so well other than through it. I, just, I came to know Jesus, and so did my wife, and, and so it, God redeemed it. I love that. But when I was a police officer, I had occasion probably four or five times to, to be a first responder, to give CPR on somebody. And one of the things that I'll never, ever forget is when that radio goes off, the absolute insane urgency. I remember I got a call one day, and it was given to me. I was the closest one, but I was still so far away, the baby not breathing. There's nothing greater than, right, the urgency is absolutely insane. And then one guy on the radio was telling me how to get there. It's an apartment complex, and I'm driving like I've never driven before. And I remember walking into that room, and I see the mom, and she's literally just in total shock. And I, and I look and there's this blue baby sitting on the couch and with everything I had within me, I'm trying. But you got to do two fingers, not four, right? And I'm just, it's this incredible urgency and I hear sirens in the background. I know there's more urgency coming, right? And can we liken that to, to reaching people today? Can we have any fervency at all in sharing the gospel with people? And of course, the fireman gets here and he's like, oh, here, did you take over? And then the, the ambulance dudes, they get lost. So it's me and it's him. Like, what do we do? And I'm like, dude, just get in. Grab the baby and get in. And he gets in my car. I, I was on 125 miles an hour through this town, getting there as soon as I could. And I'm calling for help. Tell the doctor, get him ready. There was absolutely nothing we could do. And I remember another time, a guy gets off work and he goes out and he gets on his Harley and just massive heart attack. And they both go down. Again, once again, I'm there first, right? And you get good enough, and you've seen enough of this, where you look into their eyes. I don't need to check his pulse. There's this look in the eye. And guy's dead, but here we go, right? We're trying. There's this fervency, like, is this ever going to work for me? I'm like, go for five, trying again. And this time, the ambulance got there, right? Clear, boom. And I watched his eyes, and they came back, 
Right? And the gloss turned to life. I'm like, yes. And then as I'm standing there and I'm just going, whoa, I didn't know Jesus then. I couldn't spiritualize any of this. Right? But then suddenly the eyes went again. And then the pound, the, the, the dead, gone. The fervency we had was absolutely insane. When you hear sirens going off, when you see that policeman go flying by, don't get his car number and complain. Let him go do what he's supposed to do. The fervency, I miss the fervency. Can we have any fervency and passion at all when we share the loss with the people I gave CPR to? There was absolutely nothing I could do to save them. But do you understand now as a Christian, I have, you have, we have the words of eternal life. We can speak into their light and tell them, into their life and tell them about this Jesus who saves, about this Jesus who forgives. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Let the love flow. Begin to share it with people what life is supposed to be all about. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. It's amazing how the Bible passages go through the birth of Jesus just like it was any other historical event, right? It doesn't necessarily camp you out there and see, you gotta, it's just fascinating, but in Luke chapter 2, he kind of reads through it. Uh, young Mary gives birth, um, so forth. And then in verse 8, it shifts. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now understand this. Bethlehem, city of David, about five miles outside of Jerusalem. So the shepherds in that region, according to historical studies that we could do, says they were special shepherds looking over special sheep, sheep that were being groomed for temple sacrifice, Passover lambs. I mean, why would you watch sheep at night? Put them in a pen, right? No, they were watching these by night. These ones had to be without blemish to qualify to go to their death on behalf of our Jewish friends. They were special, and so they were watched. When weather got bad, these particular shepherds would protect the flock by taking them not into a barn, but in, into a cave. Actually, in all likelihood, Jesus was not born in a barn, right? A structure would have had to been very big. You can read about it. They actually imported wood a lot of times from Lebanon. It's just probably, not for sure, probably not a wooden structure that Jesus was born in. They, they took him in to the cave. So the passage goes on and it says, An angel appeared to these guys out there. I said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. That's us too. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, right? Can you take that you and highlight it just like we did the me, you, me, us, a Savior for the world? This will be a sign for you. Talking to the shepherds now. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Okay, and the word there for sign does not require the miraculous, but it does require something unusual. And there's two things they would find that were unusual. The first one is that there's a baby lying in a manger. A manger is just a food trough. Now, again, it was probably in a cave, and they would have made their food troughs in the same way. Maybe you've seen an Indian ground corn, right? They kind of hollow out the bottom of a rock or stone. That's probably what it was. That would be unusual. But a baby wrapped in cloth would be the second part of the news. It's not unusual, is it? Might be. See, these caves on the outskirts of town were amongst the tombs. And so what our Jewish friends did is they would take their dead into the caves to prepare them for burial. Okay, in those caves, they actually carved out shelves. On those shelves, they had linens. Don't miss this. His first day, he's born. You picture Joseph going, grab that off the shelf, and he wraps his baby in death cloths. 
Don't miss the significance of that. His first day on earth. Why? Because I say it again and again. He was conceived to die. He was born to die. He lived to die. And dying, he saved us. Dying, he paid the full price for our sins that we might be eternally and forever right and forgiven in his eyes. He was born to die. And I love it because because of that death, God is just of the justifier. In other words, he is now right and squared away in his justice system to freely forgive us. My favorite words in the Greek word as I learned in a study is the Greek word Dorian, right? And and in John 15, 25, Jesus says, they hated me, Dorian. They hated me without a cause. There was no cause within Jesus that would have been them just in hating him. He didn't do anything wrong. It was them, right? Can we put Romans 3, 20 uh, up on the screen here, right? But listen to how the word is also used, Dorian. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're right. Adam's rebellion, your rebellion. Yes, you did. Yes, you have. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, right? Made right in God's eyes freely. Same Greek word. Justified without a cause. Because of us? No, no. By his unmerited favor, his grace through what Jesus did, right? The redemption that came by Christ. Do we understand that? Dorian, without a cause. There's no cause within you. And that's the heart and soul of religion is when you try and create the cause. Oh, I know I sinned, but I'll fix up. I'll clean up. No, you can't. That's actually unbelief. You're justified without a cause. I love it. At the end of the scriptures, in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. I love this invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And at first it appears it's an invitation for Jesus to return, right? But then there's this incredible transition in the passage. And it says, let the one who is thirsty come. And Jesus likened it. Uh, he who believes in him will never thirst again, right? It's the idea that you, when you want him, are you ready for him? Come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life, Dorian, absolutely, positively, without a cost to you. The highest possible price he paid, but he paid it completely. And he just says, come. The scriptures, the spirit, the bride, everyone who hears this say, come. And if you, you know, if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in him, if you've never taken his Christmas prayer, venues may have you pray or come forward. We don't do that because the Bible doesn't say that. We don't want you to, to do something that, but if you've never said yes to Jesus, I would encourage you right in your seat right today, you just go, thank you. I believe. And then everything we've talked about, one sweeping motion, it all becomes true for you. Dorian. But for the rest of us, maybe this Christmas, let the love flow. Let's direct it a little bit. Let it flow and let's reach the world. They're singing our songs. How can you so love? Because he so loved you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you so loved. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for all that we have, not because we did it, because you did it. I just pray we'd stand in honor of you. We would worship you more, not just here singing, but in life. Offer the words of eternal life. Help us to do that. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.